Welcome to Freedom Slave Podcast, where fempreneurs, side hustlers, and entrepreneurs come to fast track their success. If you're a millennial girl boss, listen, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the goods, because every week you're going to get the tools that you need to slay your business goals to create a life of time and financial freedom. I'm Ganette Jones, your host and Freedom Slayer in charge here. Let's begin. Hey, hey, welcome or welcome back to Freedom Slay Podcast. Today, you are in for a treat because you are getting a master lesson in entrepreneurship from med school dropout turned savvy business owner, Akila Relford, the 23-year-old self-funded founder of Mary Louise Cosmetics, who is on track for a million-dollar year. Akila's company was started in her dorm room at Howard University almost three years ago, and ultimately, she left her pre-med track behind to focus on her brand full-time. You're going to learn how she swiftly and brilliantly pivoted during COVID to keep sales flowing, her method for formula creation and attracting Raven fans, her process for building relationships with media connects that has gotten her featured in places like E!, Pop Sugar, BuzzFeed, and many others, and of course, how she was able to turn a dorm room factory into an actual one. Without any further ado, let's dive into this interview. I hope you enjoy. Hello, Akila. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. So glad you're here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today? Um, So I am originally from Los Angeles, California, and my entrepreneurial journey, oh, I like to think starts all the way back in kindergarten uh, when I used to sell little trinkets I made or taking snacks from home and selling them to kids. And then in high school, making bows and t-shirts and taking girls' orders um, at lunchtime. And then it kind of, well, doesn't end, actually really begins at Howard University, where I was a pre-med student and starting my skincare journey there, making skincare products. Awesome. And I can resonate when you said it started in elementary school. And some people may look (laughs) or listen to you and be like, what are you talking about? Listen, I used to grab golf balls from a nearby golf course, and I used to sell them on the side of the street to tourists. Like no one could tell me, they probably thought I was homeless, but no one could tell me what I could and couldn't do way back when. I remember I got in trouble for grabbing like pieces of grass and just random herbs and stuff that was in the playground area and putting them in sandwich bags and selling it because kids like to sprinkle it on their popcorn. I'm like, look, if they're buying it, I'm going to make it for them. No, so, I was that kid. I was like, yeah. was coming home with like $3. And my mom was like, where did you get this money from? Who's giving you money? Listen, I get it. I picked neighbors' roses. Didn't realize that was illegal at the time, but I was a kid. I picked their roses, sold them on the side of the street. Like I did all the things. So I get it. <laughs> so was the med school in Howard? Yes. Um, it was a pre-med program at Howard University. Mm. So I was pre-med for three years. During that time, I'd always, I mean, I had always been interested in the beauty industry and face masks. And I would use my little sister as a guinea pig and follow like <laughs> DIY um, tutorials on YouTube and try out different at-home masks with her. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I would just tweet about them for fun or go on my Instagram and just, just for fun and just show people what I was doing. And then one day, I think it was in between a summer break between my sophomore and junior year of college. I woke up with thousands and thousands, maybe 35,000 retweets on this beauty thread that I made just talking about beauty tips using at-home ingredients that are easy to use and basically free. And then I had all these girls messaging me about how to fix whatever skin element or 
whatever they were going through from at-home ingredients. So that really inspired me. And obviously like the entrepreneurial light bulb went off in my head and I said, well, I could actually make a line of products um, for these girls. Mm-hmm. Super smart. And it's amazing how social media can have that impact. And so you obviously weren't getting too distracted by the the sound of bands and all the things happening at Howard then. <laughs> Right. I mean, I did have my fun at Howard. Howard is a great, amazing school. I've heard um, it's awesome. <laughs> oh, it's so fun. I think it's like top 10, top 15 party school or something. It's it's pretty fun. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I definitely focused a little bit more on skincare, my business more than pre-med. Mm-hmm. So how did your parents react to that then? If, you know, dropping out of med school, because I know that's eventually what ended up happening. How did they react to that shift from you going into med, going into medicine? Because I believe your dad's a doctor, right? Yes. And going from there and switching to beauty, did they react in a negative way? Were they supportive? What was, what was their reaction like? Um, my parents are both entrepreneurial as well. So they were actually really supportive. I think that when they saw that I had a business that was viable and was making sales and I had customers, it was building a community, they were more put at ease with the fact. Well, at first it turned into me taking a semester off. They were just like, oh, let's just take a semester off to see how it goes. And then the business took off and I have been doing Mary Louise full time. And I feel really, really grateful to have such supportive parents. That's so great because they're entrepreneurs. They, they're receptive to the idea of you pivoting and doing something different. Right. I, I love that. So I know Mary Louise Cosmetics is vegan, organic, cruelty-free, like all the things, free skincare yeah. brand. So how did you come up with the name and the concept? So Mary Louise is my middle name. Mary is my maternal grandmother and Louise is my paternal grandmother. And then my middle name is just hyphenated Mary Louise. So both of my grandmothers were super influential in my life as far as, well, they're both from Mississippi. So one of our first products we created was Mississippi Mud, which was kind of a tribute product to them, which kind of blended in how wholesome and pure the types of recipes or hacks, beauty hacks that they would show me using natural ingredients. So I think that's what I wanted the brand to stand for and to be just a wholesome, natural quality skincare company. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you were doing that before even the brand because you were creating these masks and trying them out on your sister. Is that right? Yes, definitely. And then, I mean, we obviously had to send them to different labs and manufacturers to meet good manufacturing practices. But all the ingredients or all the formulas we formulated ourselves. That's so dope. So I know a big problem a lot of new business hopefuls have, because I heard you talking about sending it to the different factories, you know, to get that approval. A lot of them, the big issue that many new entrepreneurs or those who are entrepreneurs, the big thing they have is figuring out the industry, learning about the industry, sourcing the quality ingredients, packaging their products, and even figuring out the legal back end that's required to put it out there. So how did you go about doing this? Like, where did you turn to learn all these things? Because how old were you when you started? I was, we just turned three. So you were 20? Yes. Awesome. Yes. Well, I'm the type of entrepreneur where I kind of figure it out afterwards and kind of go as, 
go along as everything is happening. I think that's all of us. <laughs> I mean, I knew some skincare brands or some people want to start beauty brands and they've been formulating products and ingredients for years before they launch. I mean, to each their own, but I think the time between girls were asking me to formulate products. And by the time we had our first product was maybe three months when we were selling. I so that. I don't Thank you. When it comes to sourcing and figuring out which manufacturer you want to use and fulfillment center and partnering up with people for like different legal reasons, I think it's like just like dating. You have to try one thing and if it doesn't work out, you have to try another. And I mean, there's always room for improvement and making sure you're scaling the way you want to scale. So I don't think there's ever really a permanent place. You're always looking to improve your business and improving your strategy and how you manufacture. And I feel like all good entrepreneurs are always looking on how they can improve. So I don't, I would tell young entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs in general, entrepreneurs to don't put so much pressure on finding the perfect partner right out of the gate and just be flexible. I think that's so important. Being an entrepreneur is just knowing how to pivot, being flexible and ready to adapt to the market. That's such great advice. And like you said, there you can be you can change, right? You can pivot, you can find something else, but you have to take that first step and you do that by dating, right? You you oh. learn you find the husband or the wife or whatever through the dating process. So you have to you have to try the thing. So I definitely agree with that. And what about the legal side of things? So you were saying you had to test all the things. Were you going to Google to initially figure out how that worked or did you seek legal advice from the beginning from like a, an attorney or something? Yeah, I mean my parents are really good about having my business set up in a super solid way. But I mean, there's so many Google and YouTube have honestly been my best friend these last three years with giving you, I mean, infinite amounts of information and great information on how you should set up your business, what documents you need for, for, for whatever industry you're in, beauty, food, whatever. So I definitely think that just taking the time and researching or just Googling what legal documents do I need to set up my business properly? Or what are some great manufacturers for beauty products in my area, or at least within like a 300 mile radius? So definitely take the time to research what you need for your business and what's best for your business in the long term. Uh, yeah, that's so true. Google can be your best friend. I call her Aunt Google. And she's, <laughs> wa- she's wise beyond her years. She knows all the things, but it's so great that your parents are in this space so you're able to get that additional information that so many people are craving like so yeah I love that and what was the thing that really in your mind you're like this is how I'm going to separate myself from the industry did you see that there were so many ridiculous ingredients and that's why you went the natural vegan way there were a lot of natural skincare products but I don't really think at the time I saw any products that catered to my demographic at the time which was between girls from 16 to 20. Those are the girls who were messaging me on Twitter and Instagram. So I think that having a high quality product priced reasonably is, was what really set us apart as far as differentiating ourselves from other brands. Mm-hmm. And so it's getting really clear on your market. And was there anything or any time where you were like creating this yourself, like hand mixing and doing all the things? Oh, or were absolutely. You- I mean, my dorm room was turning into a sweatshop. Um, and while I was in college in DC, my dad practices in LA. So he would turn his offices into 
basically a fulfillment center. And then after hours would be mixing my product for me, labeling, making boxes, taping, cleaning, taking everything to the post office. And then he just called me one day and was like, you need to come back. Like you you need to come back. Like I can't keep cleaning up in the morning and hiding all these skincare products before my patients come in. Um, (laughs) The kitchen and the garage and the office and the dorm, I've done it all so much in these last three years, it feels like, but yeah, I mean, you gotta, you have to work with what you got. Mm -hmm. And are you currently manufacturing in like a factory of some sort? Have you moved to the production to a bigger place? Yes, we do have a manufacturer in Gardena, and we've also opened up a retail space in Inglewood, California. So the retail space does have a larger production area in the included in the space. So between the store and our fulfillment center in manufacturing Gardena, it's where we primarily make the most of our products. I love watching an evolution of a business, or in this case, listening to it. You know, you were in your dorm room, and really, you ha- you started a self-funded business from your dorm room at Howard, and that in a, of itself just requires an ap- applause from everybody listening. So, how was that, what was that like? You were a student at Howard. You had classes. You had things like students have things even after school. Like, what was it like starting that in Howard? It was fun. It was really fun. I don't remember it being stressful. I just remember it being a super creative time where when I first saw Mary Louise Mississippi Mud is a face mask and it was the first mask that we launched or the first product that we launched and it got such a great response. So I think during that time, I was just doing a lot of market research and writing down in my notebook a lot of the ingredients that I wanted to play with, whether it be aloe vera or green tea or honey, and just coming up with different combinations in my head of what a next product would be. And that's where I really found my love, I think, for product development. It was super interesting, but it was it was fun. I mean, at the time I was working at Zara, maybe like three days a week, and then I had classes. So between Zara classes, and then I would usually brainstorm on Mary Louise at nighttime. It was, I mean, I, I was pretty busy. <laughs> that last year Uh uh-huh I can I can see it already and did that Zara paycheck is that what helped fund the first bit of the business yeah so I would take my paychecks from Zara and then put it towards my business I can't even remember how much it was at the time but I know it was enough to get a few supplies and like my website domain and a bunch of things that I needed for online. So it definitely helped. And then I remember that I was starting to make more on Mary Louise than I was at Zara. I I stayed at Zara still until I left to go back home, but it was still a really good time. And I felt proud knowing that our business was self-funded and that I had the support of my parents. I just remember it being a really fun and new time. I love, love, love it. And you're now on track for your million dollar year at 23. So first of all, congratulations on that. Thank you so much. (laughs) At what point did you know for sure this was a viable business? I know you said that you put the post up that went viral on Twitter and you had the first couple sales, but what point in your mind were you like, okay, yeah, this is it. This is the time. Was it when your sales matched that paycheck from Zara? 
Hey Freedom Slayer, I hope you're enjoying this episode with Akila, and we'll be diving back into it in a second. But before we do, I wanted to advise you that the doors to my signature program, Cubicle Ditch Academy, are open, but only for a short time. Doors close next week, Tuesday, June 16th, 2020. Cubicle Ditch Academy is for women ready to build their side hustle to a place where they can match or surpass the 9 to 5 income and finally check the deuces to their day job. In other words, it'll help get you prepped, primed, and positioned to profitably chuck those deuces to that 9 to 5. In just the last six months alone, we've had four students ditch their cubicles and many more double and triple their income even during the pandemic. It has six game-changing modules that teach you everything from getting uber clear on your audience and offer to the how-to of creating multiple streams of income and how to recession-proof your business. So important right now because if COVID has taught us anything, it's that the 9 to 5 is not as secure as we thought. And that's just scratching the surface. So if you're listening to this podcast on or before June 16th, head on over to cubicleditchacademy.com to learn more or shoot me a DM over on Instagram at gaynete, G-A-Y-N. ETE, so we can chat to see if it's a good fit for you. I'll also have the link in the show notes for this podcast. So again, that's cubicleditchacademy.com. Okay, now let's get back to chatting with Akila. Um, it actually had nothing to do with any monetary amount. I think I knew I had a viable business when I saw that I had a community growing or that people would start reposting pictures of their skincare. People would, I mean, even to this day, I get so many emails and sweet messages about how my products changed their lives or made them feel more confident. So, and I mean, to me, that feels so much better than any type of check or any form of money. It's mm-hmm. when you're changing someone's life with something you created, which to me is just crazy. And I look online and see posts from girls in South Africa and London and Monaco with my product. And it's still so insane. So to me, that's when I knew I had a viable business. The money and the success will come when I think you're changing people's lives. <sighs> Love it. And I think that's why you've been so successful with it, because you're taking it from the approach of service first and foremost, which is what I like to teach as well. Like, yes, money is important and it can help you change the world around you and your community and all that kind of stuff. But to get to that level, you have to first solve a problem for your audience and really help change their lives. So I love that that's where your focus was and knowing that if you created a community of individuals that you were assisting, that you knew that the success was going to come with it. So the next question that actually feeds into the next question I was going to ask anyway, which is, did you build your following up to sell or did you build your product up and the following came, but it seems like they were happening simultaneously. Whereas you created this product, you started getting a lot of buzz around it and people were sharing and then it just grew from there. Is that how it went? Yes. Yeah, so during the time when I was tweeting and or whether it be on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, sharing different tips, I noticed that my following was starting to grow. And then in the middle of that growth, I launched the company. And so between that first year on my personal page and Mary Louise pages, the audience was definitely starting to grow. But I think that when people think of Mary Louise, they think of Aquila first. And I say that because when I was sharing my skincare hacks, I was tuning for my personal page. So it wasn't, oh, let's go to see what Mary Louise Cosmetics has posted. Let's, it was, let's go talk to Aquila and see if she can like help us. So I think, I like to think of my personal pages as a brand page as well. 
Mm-hmm. I, I think that's great because it builds trust with customers and it gives people like a face to a name. I feel like a lot of times brands, especially beauty brands, which is something so personal and can be so intimate sometimes. I mean, you're putting stuff on your body. A lot of people don't know who they're talking to. So I've always made it a point to let my customers know that, hey, I'm Akila. This is my company. You can ask me questions too and put yourself at ease. And I mean, we can be friends. I'm friends with basically all my my customers. And yeah, it's been like a great community and I'm excited to see how it continues to grow. We'll be back after a quick break. Money is all around us and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it? And what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host, Matt Heslin, brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. So, so smart. And especially in this day and age, and when you're looking at the demographic that you're targeting, we want to know who's behind the business, right? Especially you're looking at Gen Z for you is Gen Z and millennials mostly for your audience, correct? Yes. Yeah. And we like to have that connection with the owner and it just makes that or creates, I should say, that deeper bond that you spoke about. And that's what's really another differentiating factor for your business, because like you mentioned, the others are just really their logos without having a personal touch to them, which feels a bit cold, especially in this day and age. So I do love that. Do you use Pinterest at all out of curiosity? I do. At the moment, I think we have almost 400,000 monthly viewers on our Pinterest. And with Pinterest, it's great because everything is very like visual and aesthetically pleasing and looks great. There's so many ways to build an audience from Pinterest. So I think that has been like a secret weapon in the last, I want to say six months actually. So it's fairly new. Mostly we've been just focusing on Instagram and my Instagram, but Pinterest has definitely been a cool new way to connect with people. Yeah, as soon as you start talking about the face masks and the DIY things that you were doing, that's the first thing came to mind. I'm like, oh, that's perfect for Pinterest because that's what people pin. They want to share things that they believe are as close to natural as possible that they could possibly do themselves. Exactly. So I think that's brilliant. And I know your products have also been featured in places like Refinery29 and E and BuzzFeed, Pop Sugar, and all the other places. How did you, how did any of this come about? And do you have any tips for others who may be trying to find press? for their products. Yeah. So, I mean, with the press and different product placement on digital publications, it's just about networking. It's about finding, sometimes finding the journalist's Instagram and maybe doing a little Instagram stalking and building a really genuine connection with them and just networking. And I feel like a lot of times people are so afraid to reach out to people, but it could turn into an amazing opportunity. So I think getting over like any imposter syndrome or fear is just holding you back. So if you see an article that you like and then or it has something to do with your company or your brand, reach out to the person who wrote the piece. Their information can be listed online or just send them a friendly DM or follow them on Instagram. And just, I will say, don't 
bombard them, never be like spammy or anything. Just genuinely try to build a connection as you would do with anyone, any friend. Mm -hmm. I love that because that is something that I tend to do with new products or offers or things like that, especially if you look for people who are writing like bloggers or those, whether they're writing for blogs, giant blogs like Elle or whatever, or even for the Elle magazine or wherever it is. But you look... Yeah, at the top of each of these articles, it's who wrote it. And if you Mm -hmm. click on there, it's usually their Twitter and all the other things. And you can begin to build that genuine relationship, like Akilah mentioned, to be able to create real connection. Because that's what really matters, right? You don't want to be spammy. You don't want to be that weirdo where they're like, oh, here they come again. They're back in my DMs. You don't want to be that person. But at the same time, you have to understand that what you have to offer is a value and it's going to be a value to their readers if this is what they're writing about anyway so understand that it isn't from a place where it's like oh they're doing you a favor it's a mutual beneficial relationship exactly and if you wait until people find you you're gonna be waiting a long time sometimes exactly like i just this morning i literally have a trello board like each of the projects i create i have like a you do too (laughs) I have a Trello board and in part of the Trello boards, like the launch strategies or whatever. And then I'd have like media, like who am I reaching out to the media? So initially what I would do, and this is a gem for all of you that are listening, I would write the places. So let's say Cosmo or, you know, mm-hmm. Essence, like all the things. When you Google your industry or your product or what it is that you have to offer, who's writing about this? Find them who have the bylines. Like what are they, who are they? Follow them on Twitter. What are they talking about? What interests them, right? Like one today, I wrote the name, got the email because a lot of times on Twitter, they have their email right there and on Instagram. LinkedIn, LinkedIn. LinkedIn as well. The only thing with LinkedIn is I don't like that you can see when someone's looking at the profile. So I don't want them to know I'm doing my mini stalking initially. So I tend not to go on LinkedIn right away, but I will look on Instagram or wherever. And the one for today, for instance, that I was looking at, I put in brackets, has a dog, a female dog name and have the name there. Like, so when I'm sending a message, maybe a month or two from now, I can bring that up. Hey, hope you and dog's name is fine. Like that kind of thing. It just makes it genuine and shows that not only are you interested, but you're paying attention to the details. Right. And I genuinely want to learn more about them. So if I form, formulate an email and say I'm a fan of their work, I want to genuinely mean that and not just say it because I'm expecting a response. Exactly. Um, the long term, it's all about genuine connections because the, you want the, that connection to last a long time and grow with your business and work with them in the future. Um, and so you, it's worth the time in the beginning. For sure. And you can feel the difference too. So as someone who gets inbox messages all the time from people and from their PR agents and like all the things, in my mind, I can easily filter what's trash and what's not, what's genuine, what's not, like all the things. And yeah. the second I got your email, I had to flag it, Akila, because I was like, oh, I want to get back to her. Like, I loved, I loved what you wrote, but I also loved what you're doing and how you were able to articulate what it is that you're doing and how it's helping, right? So it's, it's also understanding someone's style and what's important to them and also being able to represent yourself in a way that doesn't come through like oh it's for me it's for me it's for me give me what you have it's like no let's talk I have something that I think you may be interested in because of these reasons yeah exactly and I mean when I found I think I found your Instagram page maybe honestly 
around eight months ago. And I saved a few of the, I, I like to save things that I want to like revisit in the future. So I saved a few of your posts, but I saw your message and it resonated with me about financial freedom and being independent and entrepreneurial. And then your page is so pretty with all the yellow. So it was definitely something that caught my eye. And I just think that just because someone has a following or a platform doesn't always mean that you should partner with them. Like it's important to find people who resonate with your message and what you want to get across and how you guys come together and collaborate. So not all, I think sometimes people think that, oh, oh, they have a platform. Oh, they have X amount of followers. And that's not always good for your business and can sometimes be counterproductive. So I think you really have to cherry pick out the people you want to work with. Such a great point, because in that research this morning, there were many that I did find that I went on the Instagram page or I went looking at other things. I'm like, yeah, we're probably not going to click or this isn't something I'm interested in. So I'm not going to follow someone because it isn't genuine to me. I'm not going to follow someone if I'm not interested in what they're posting or I'm not interested in what they have to say or whatever. And I don't want it to just merely be a transactional relationship. Like Akila said, you want to grow with someone and, you know, build a relationship with someone. So you have to cherry pick. And not only that, but like you mentioned, it will not always be the best fit for you, right? There may be five editors at this place and that one just may not be the one for you. So making sure you do your research. And I love that you said it was eight months old. And even like I said, with the ones that I was doing today, I'll probably reach out to them a couple months from now, a month or two at the closest to start talking about other things. But right now I'm building that relationship. I'm checking out what they're continuing to post and things like that. So you do have to one, take your time to ensure that when you are selecting that you're being selective not everyone is for you and we need to understand that or for your brand in this instance. And not to jump on it right away, figuring out how you can both be mutually beneficial. Right. And one thing I loved is how you quickly pivoted your business during this pandemic, switching to hand sanitizer and soap. So what, what was it that happened? Well, we know it was COVID, right? But when, yeah. did you, when did you know that the pivot was needed? And what was it like producing products when everything was shut down? I mean, it definitely was a trying time at first. And I think we knew when to pivot when, I mean, when you would walk into any grocery store or drugstore and saw that all of the cleaning supplies were wiped out. There was no hand sanitizer. People were charging over $50 on either Amazon or eBay for a little pocket-sized hand sanitizer, which was ridiculous. So I think that's when I knew we quickly had to pivot and meet the needs of, or meet the new needs of the market. So, I mean, at the time, no one had any hand sanitizer. So early on, we did put in an order for our, from our manufacturer for, our, for hand sanitizer or alcohol-based products, beauty products. So we did get that early on, which I'm really grateful for. So it's, I think it's still, I think just right now, it's kind of calming down where I think you can get hand sanitizer in stores easier but it's still in high demand. So we have shaving products online and our shaving products have, or some of them have a content of 80% alcohol or more. So we repurposed a lot of our products and turned them into hand sanitizer sprays. So the products that were used for either a bump blocker or an aftershave, we would repurpose them and use them as a limited edition hand sanitizer. And we would slightly tweak 
the ingredients or the formula to make it a proper hand sanitizer, but we had to work with what we, we had. So we partnered with our manufacturer to get the products out and launch them online. And we started making hand soap. We had just actually launched hand soaps right before everything was shut down. So that was kind of a miracle and it's been going great. And we're also donating a portion of our hand sanitizer and soap proceeds to the World Health Organization. I love that. So it has a purpose behind it too, but I want to rewind back to the very beginning when you said, well, the very beginning of this answer, when you said you went to the supermarkets and you noticed what was missing, right? You noticed what was off the shelves. So you have to be observant and your eyes and ears and everything have to be constantly switched on as an entrepreneur to see where you need pivoting. Because there may be some people who are so closed off to changing anything where they're like, no, people are still going to need their face clean during this time. And they wouldn't have even considered it because they weren't thinking of anything else. So I think you deserve a round of applause for being able to so quickly navigate that. Thank you. I mean, it's not even to the fact for brand. I think that if, if you have the capacity to, and you never, I don't think you should overwhelm yourself. And I get that a lot of brands today could be struggling. So I wouldn't say to necessarily overwhelm yourself with projects. And I mean, take on things that are outside of your bandwidth and potentially hurt your company. But if you have the resources and you have the time, I definitely think it was worth pushing out a limited edition hand sanitizer and soap set. And it differentiates your company from other brands. And it builds trust and lets your customers know that you're there for them and that you care and that you're not still so obsessed with just selling one product and that you're able to meet their needs. And I think that customers really notice that. Mm -hmm. And it also gives you the opportunity to find more customers who hadn't heard of you before because they're looking for the new thing that you have. So they're in your space. Yeah, they're in your space now. And then once you have all the other things or once this calms down, which it, it is starting to calm down a bit now, they're starting to look at the other things you have to offer because you were able to solve that problem initially for them. So I think that's brilliant. Thank you. And where can people find you and your products? Because they're likely listening and they're like, okay, we need to find out where we can get this Mary Louise. Where is the best space for them to find you? Um, We are sold exclusively at www.mymarylouise.com. It's M-Y-M-A-R-Y-L-O-U-I-S-E.com. And you can shop our entire collection there, our soaps, hand sanitizers, and skincare on the website. Awesome. And I'll link to that as well as your Instagram page, your personal one, and Mary Louise's Instagram page in the show notes as well. So they can find you there. And you said that you were exclusively online. At any point, are you looking to move to retail or can someone find you in a physical store somewhere as well? You can find us at our retail location at 212 East Regent Street, Inglewood, California, if you're in the Los Angeles area. Um, we do have plans to move into various retail spaces in the Los Angeles area. But now, once again, we have to pivot with the current climate and really look at if people are moving into retail spaces the way they were. So we're primarily focused on moving on to different online platforms to make sure people can experience our products. Awesome. And honestly, it's been a pleasure talking to you. You've been amazing and you have such a wealth of knowledge 
at 23. You have the knowledge of some entrepreneurs that are 43, 53. <laughs> so I really appreciate speaking with you. And it's one question I love to ask at the end of every single Freedom Slave podcast. And that is, what does freedom mean to you? To me, freedom means waking up every single morning and being happy about what your day holds for you. Doesn't matter how much money you're making, what you do, if you wake up every single morning happy to start your day, I think that is true freedom. Thank you so much, Akila. Thank you so much. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did with Akila and learned a ton of information from her. And I love that she reinforced the message of ensuring that you're building that community and you get to know your tribe and you're looking to solve a problem before just trying to think about what money you can make in your business. And I'm going to link below in the show notes to her website, which is mymarylouise.com, as well as her personal Instagram and her business Instagram for Mary Louise. And of course, I'll also be linking below for for Cubicle Ditch Academy, which is currently open and doors are closing next week. We'll chat next time. Okay, okay, I see you, Freedom Slayer. You stayed through to the end, which tells me that you likely enjoyed this episode. Listen, if you haven't already, do your sister a favor by heading on over to the iTunes store to leave a review for the podcast. It'll help others like you find a benefit from it. And look, it also helps with the rankings. Hashtag transparent AF. I appreciate you 